0: You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I heard that. I remember in church one day when I was a, I was a teenager, And um, I heard the word leper wrong, and I heard it with a D on the end of it. I was a teenage boy. I wasn't paying that good attention. And I was very confused because I hadn't heard the story at vacation Bible school or in Sunday school where a leopard walked up to Jesus to be healed. But I remember the guy describing it, and he was describing it and saying, I mean, everybody was pulling back in horror. And I was like, yeah, they were. And so I, I went the whole time thinking there's like a big cat like coming up to Jesus it made no sense then it said then he said go show yourself to the priest why are you sending a him- talking leopard to the priest to go and talk to him. And I'm picturing he just did a sacrifice. He's probably like, you know, got some of his prey that he just slaughtered like on his hands. And this is just a mean, cruel joke. And so I didn't know what to do. So I went up actually afterwards to the guy who was my Sunday school teacher. I said, I don't think I really followed that. And then he explained it. And about two seconds in, I went, oh, leper. Oh man, and then I had to sit there while he had re-explained the entire entire story to me. Um, But I I wanna make sure, even when you hear leper today with no D on the end, um, you may or may not know what is actually happening here and what's going on. And so let me get us up to speed. when we think of leprosy today, we can think of something that a, uh, a Norwegian scientist, actually a Norwegian doctor, discovered this microorganism in the 19th century, and we commonly call what uh, that disease leprosy today. But really, back in the day, this term leprosy wouldn't have been that. In fact, it's really just a term for a skin disease. There's this oral, there's this collection of oral traditions the rabbis would pass down orally from generation to generation. And in about 200, they actually compiled them, something called the Mishnah, if you've ever seen that term. And um, it uses this term for leprosy, and it describes 72 different types of skin disease that fall under the banner heading of leprosy. So this man that comes to Jesus has leprosy, and really all we know about it is uh, it's really, really bad. Um, probably fatal. And it's also very, um, you you can't fully hide it. All right. But it could be a a wide range of different things. Um, And in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13 and 14, some really riveting chapters that are all about leprosy and all about the laws and what you're supposed to do if there's uh, someone among you that is a leper, how it affected their clothes, it affected their houses, it affected um, where they walked, where they were. Um, It was really awful. Let me just give you a couple comments. Um, In Leviticus 13, it said they would have to walk through, and because it was so contagious and so deadly that if people got too close to them, uh, they would have to walk around shouting, unclean, unclean, declaring themselves unclean. You're cut off from the community basically by divine decree, and the laws that they used for lepers, the parallel is the same laws that they would use for a corpse. That if there was a dead body in a house, you were not to go in that house for a certain number of days. Um, you were not to touch a dead body. That's the same thing as it was with um, leprosy. A few examples of it. Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron speak out against Moses and the punishment for it is, uh, is she gets leprosy. And then Aaron says to Moses, he says, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and sinned. And then he says, let her not be as one dead. It was punishment. King Azariah was um, touched with leprosy at one point uh, because he, um, he was the king and there were all the, 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 the pagan nations had come in and they had built these things called the high places. They had built other temples to other gods and they tried to get him up high because they thought they were closer to God. And he was supposed to come in and he actually did some good stuff, but the thing he was supposed to do was get rid of all those and he didn't. And so it says he was punished and he was given leprosy for life. Even, even, honestly, people in the pagan world, they saw if somebody had this skin disease that they would think it was a punishment by God or by the gods. Um, the story of Naaman has come up quite a bit over the past few weeks here. Um, in 2 Kings 5, a guy named Assyrian named Naaman was hit with leprosy. And uh, they came, he, uh, there was a, a little girl with him and said, oh, that you were in Israel because there's a prophet of God and he can ask God to heal you. And so this is the story. He goes back uh, to Israel to be healed and Elisha meets him and says, you got to dip in the Jordan. And that's the story we've told a few times here. Um, but Elisha could not heal him, but Elisha could serve as an intermediary between him and God to heal him. But they saw it, Naaman saw it as this is the punishment of the divine on me. And so I need to go to a prophet. I need to go do something spiritual to try and eradicate this. The rest of that story, by the way, Elisha, after Naaman finally does get healed, he tries to give Elisha some money for it. And Elisha says, I don't want your money. And so Naaman says, fair enough. And he leaves. And then uh, uh, Elisha's servant goes, wait a minute, there's money to be had? And so as they're leaving, he goes, hang on. And he runs back to Naaman and goes, hey, Elisha changed his mind. And he wants money now. And so Naaman goes, okay, and he gives him money. And he's pocketing it and he's like, ah, I'm pretty smart. And he goes back up and Elisha goes, did you go get money from him? Oops, he did. You know what his punishment was? Leprosy to him and to his descendants. It was usually fatal, especially in biblical times. And also they would uh, do something we're familiar with. They would have to quarantine and just hope for the best. And that was it. Let me give you a couple of references here. Josephus, the historian, talks about lepers and says, they were treated as if it were in effect, as if they were, in effect, dead men. Three other pastors, theologians that have researched a lot on this. Bishop J.C. Ryle says, uh, leprosy was a living death which no medicine can check or stay. Michael Wilcox says, the leper was not just ill, he was outcast. He had not simply lost his health, he had lost his family, his friends, his home, his livelihood. No one would, indeed no one was allowed to, associate with him. Philip Graham Ryken wrote a great commentary on the book of Luke, and he says uh, he calls it the AIDS or Ebola virus of the day. That's the setting. And so in verse 12, when he was in one of the cities, when Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. It's interesting. This story appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and only Luke's gospel adds this idea of full of leprosy. So thank you, Dr. Luke, that communicates to us that this is an advanced stage for him. This isn't, he might have leprosy, he might not. This is, he is, uh, he is full of it. This is an advanced case of the disease. Um, death is imminent and it is visible to the entire world. He was full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, he's not even supposed to be in the town. And here he is walking through the town, and I'm just picturing you know, kids just looking at him and, and people just feeling uncomfortable. I picture mothers reaching out and just clutching their children and just like pulling them back out of the way. Don't get close to this person that is unclean. And here he has the audacity, he is desperate, he's full of leprosy, he falls on his face and he's begging, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now think about this, when he says, if you will, you can make me clean. He's saying, I know you can heal me. But he's saying, I don't know if you will or not. So imagine him there just holding his breath, waiting for the answer from Christ. I know that you can. I know that you're powerful enough too, but are you loving and caring enough to care for a little disgusting me? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him so much here. When he, when he says, I will, think about like what has happened before all throughout the Old Testament, and then you'll see it later in the New Testament when people are getting healed. They have to invoke the name of God to do it, and especially with leprosy. The whole history of it is you, it's something divine. You've got to invoke the name of God to do it, and Jesus doesn't have to. He says, I will. This is the man recognizing who Jesus is, that he's divine, and Jesus saying, you are right. That is who I am. I am God in the flesh. But also when he says, I will, and this is the obvious one, is he's saying, I love you. Yeah, the world's love kind of goes up and down and as you progress and get worse and worse, people see that it's starting to not get healed. Their love for you and care for you is gonna be depleted. Mine is steadfast. That's what God, that's what Jesus Christ is saying. But here's the thing that I think is fascinating. It says Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And he didn't have to do that. He could have just said, be clean. Like, you could have just taken out that part and said, and Jesus said, I will, be clean. And immediately the leprosy, that that would have worked as well. He just needs his words. In fact, he doesn't even need his words. Don't you think that Jesus could have just seen him? And even if the guy didn't ask, he could have gone, oh, I know what he needs. Like that. Or what, he didn't have to do that even. And he could just think it. And then the guy's just healed. And yet what happens is with everybody watching, with everybody looking around, so uncomfortable, so not wanting to get close to this guy, pulling friends, family back, Jesus goes to him stretches out his hand, it says, and unnecessarily puts his hand on him. I mean, think about this. He has four things that he does. Culturally, there's four reasons he shouldn't have done that. Culturally, he would have had an excuse. This tough Greco-Roman culture, you're not supposed to associate with people like that. Medically. Normally, like if, if a kid comes up and is coughing or has a rash and goes, hi, and puts his hand out, you don't think, well, I don't have a rash. I haven't been coughing. And so if I shake his hand, then my cleanliness will pass to him right? It goes the other way. This is an instance where it goes the other way. Like medically, you would think, Jesus, you, sh- you shouldn't do this. He had that excuse to do that. The clean don't touch the unclean. Medically, you're not supposed to. What about pridefully? You don't associate with the lowly. And then religiously, he's technically breaking Jewish law to do this. Or you could have twisted a Jewish law to say um, that he's, uh, he's breaking it. And so why is he doing it? And there's a few different reasons. One of the things he's doing is it has to do with compassion and truth. Jesus is saying he is above all four of these. He is above science and medicine. He is above the culture. He's above pride. And he is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is making a declaration about who he is in this moment. And the other thing he's doing is when he reaches out to touch him, he's demonstrating compassion. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, we don't know much about this guy, but he's full of leprosy, so it's probably pretty advanced. How long do you think it's been since anybody has put their hand on him? How long do you think it's been since anybody's shaking his hand or giving him a hug? How long do you think it's been since, I mean, he, if he was just in a house and left the house, now that house has to be quarantined and people aren't allowed to go in there. How long do you think it's been since someone reached out and put a hand on him? And what do you think that meant to him? Jesus is saying I am upping the ante on what compassion actually looks like. It is about the truth of who he is and then we and then with the truth it is also the compassion that Christ shows. And those two things, truth and grace or truth and compassion, always, always, always go together. In fact, I'm going to skip down a couple verses here in verse 15. Um, this, is, this is how it ends. The passage ends. Now, even more, the report of him went abroad and great crowds gathered to do what? To hear him. That's the truth. And be healed of their infirmities. That's his compassion. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. They would hear the good news and they would be healed. The truth of Jesus is meant to be the truth that we speak. The compassion of Jesus is meant to be the compassion that we uh, model and that we emulate. So a quick way to apply this would be, um, I know Jesus in that moment, that's what that man needed. He needed to do something that no one else was willing to do. So think about this, about people in your life, that there's a way you could show compassion by going one step closer than you are maybe right now. We're often Um, for people in principle, but really what can happen if we're not careful is we're really just against the people that are against them. So like if we say we're for the poor, we love the poor, um, instead of actually going to the poor, sometimes we're just against the people that we think are against the poor. We'll rebuke them for not being for the poor, but the reality is I'd, I'd love to ask those people, do you give money for the poor? Do you go and help the poor? Are you in their midst or do you just kind of care and you're just mad about the people that aren't really for them? Go to them. That's the compassion of Jesus. He stretches out his hand and he touches them. So think about like, how, how can we show this? Maybe you're um, one of many kids and the youngest kid gets picked on and you're the big kid. What if you go step in and say, "Nah." uh we ain't picking on this little one anymore. Or maybe a kid at school, student at school, and there's a bully picking on people. And everybody wants to be not associated with the person getting picked on because then they're gonna get picked on. And what would it look like if you went and you stood right next to them? Or what would it look like for maybe some ministries that you really like, ministries to the poor, for example, or ministries to other people that need compassion to say, I'm gonna actually go be with those people. I'm gonna intentionally give to those ministries. I'm gonna pray very specifically every day for the people that are serving in that role. Or think about, um, Rockland's really good at this one, by the way, but um, sometimes there can be uh, somebody's sick, somebody's hurting, really hope someone goes and ministers to them. And God might be going and tapping you on the shoulder to say, that's you. Now, the question is this. why in the world would we do this? Like, really, why would we go? It's I make this money. Why would I give rid of my money? It's, I only have so much time. Why would I use my time in this way? I can only think and care about so many things. Why don't I just care more about myself? Why do I need to care about these people and have compassion on other people that need my compassion? And the fuel to do that is what he says next. Look at verse 14. It says, he charged them to tell no one But go, or charged him, sorry, this is back to the leper. He's charged the leper to tell no one after he cleansed him. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, this is not, so give me a payment for what I've done. Like, you need to go tithe because of the nice things that I've done for you. That's not what he's saying. This is referring back to the Old Testament that um, when you were cleansed, if you were cleansed of leprosy, you'd go show yourself to the priest, and then you'd be able to be reassimilated into society. Now, I'm looking at this and going, why do you go show yourself to the priest? Because you can't go, well, did they not have doctors? Well, the author is a doctor. So there were doctors. It feels like you should go go show yourself to a doctor, like, can you imagine today to say, well, you need to go show yourself to Jim and he'll bless you, you know? I, I don't know, I've, my, my prowess on not knowing anything about medicine is, is widely known. I'll give you one example I I've thought of this week. I remember when I was, um, when I, we had just gotten married and we're at the house and we're laying there in bed and Nikki said, hey, can you get me some ibuprofen? And I said, of course. And I got up to get her ibuprofen. I was in my 20s, 20, 25 or so. I did not have the heart to tell her. I did not know what ibuprofen was. And so this is absolutely true. I got up and it was a name I vaguely knew. And so I went and she had kind of done like, can you get me some ibuprofen size? Oh, sure. And so you know where I went? Is I thought, where's things about this size with names I vaguely know? And so I literally looked for the ibuprofen in the spice rack in our kitchen. That is absolutely true. And uh, I got back, I said, well, I, just, I, didn't, I didn't see any. She said, well, there might be some in the bathroom. I was like, oh, the bathroom, okay. And so I went in, and I'm looking, I'm checking all the things, and I was like, this is ibuprofen. Note to self, it's for headaches. And so I got her ibuprofen. And so, but when I see this, and I go, go show yourself to the priest, if it's like, go show yourself to the pastor, I'm like, why would you show yourself to me? Here's what's happening in that day. It would be like if you were here and you start talking to somebody and they say, oh yeah, I've had COVID and, you know, how you doing? Oh, it's good, you know, I just got over COVID. You're thinking, how long ago did you get over COVID, right? And if in the course of the conversation, they were to say, they were to say, you know, I visited with Jim to make sure he was cool if I came back. We actually got coffee on Thursday morning and we sat and we chatted for a while. And that, even though I'm not a doctor, you would probably go, or not that kind of doctor, you would probably go, okay, like if Jim talked to you, I'm assuming Jim asked you a bunch of questions. He didn't, I'm not like they're taking his temperature or anything like that, you know, scanning him. I'm, but I might ask, well, when did you get it? And what do you think? Okay. And then, and then there could be a little bit of peace in your heart going, okay, well, if he visited with Jim, one of Jim's job is to, you know, help care for people. And so probably he asked the right questions. That may be a, a little bit of a parallel here. The other thing was the priest in that day was really to go stand in the presence of God. And so they would think, if you can go to the priest who can go then and stand in the presence of God, then you are able to stand in the presence of the community. The priest was a gatekeeper to care for and love the people. Now, here's the thing we can't miss. What you see in this, that God has made a way that a leprous person can be re-assimilated into society, that is the grace of God. That is God looking down and loving those people a few thousand years ago in their culture when everybody else would say, just, just kick them out. All they're doing, they're probably gonna die, excuse me, and they're just gonna drain our resources. And God says, no, 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 here's what we do. We've got a plan, there's more to it. We've got a plan and you can go to the priest and you can, you can um, re-enter society like normal without the stigma of having been a leper. This is the grace of God for his people. But here's really the point of this text is what we're, what we're meant, what we are meant to see in it is the gospel. What we're meant to see is this leper had this terrible physical condition. And what we've had is a terrible spiritual condition called our sin. Let me read you from one um, commentary here. Leprosy is an ugly, but accurate illustration of our spiritual condition before we are healed by the gospel. At the time of Christ, people generally assumed leprosy was God's curse against sin. That was not necessarily true, but leprosy still serves as a symbol of our sin, what is called an outward invisible sign of our innermost spiritual corruption. Sin makes us unclean. Our depravity is a disfiguring disease that distorts the person God created us to be. Indeed, it is a kind of living death because the Bible says that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses. He continues, this leads us to ask the question the Apostle Paul once asked and that the leper in Luke's gospel knew how to answer. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The parallel that we are meant to see is where he is physically unclean and he goes to Jesus and he says, and he is begging him, he's full of leprosy and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And we're meant to see our own depravity, our spiritual problem, our spiritual sickness, see ourselves as the gross lepers in the story that go to Jesus and all we do is we say, if you will, you can make us clean. And Jesus says the same thing, I will be clean. how do we apply this? Let me try and tie this together. If we really understand that that's who we are, that we identify with the leper in the story spiritually, and that is what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, it changes how we live. So I'll give you two quick examples. Imagine that leper there that day. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. And I imagine he was off like a shot. But could you imagine, like, in that moment, for this man who was ostracized, who was sick, who was probably dying, who's just going, I know you can't, I don't even know if you will. And everybody else is looking at him, probably going, just do something fast and get him out of here. That Jesus would heal him. If Jesus had gone, if, if he's healed and then Jesus goes, uh, here, put on this silly hat and go run outside and cluck like a chicken. He'd have probably gone okay and put it on and gone outside and started clucking like a chicken. Hey, break dance for me, dance for me, anything. He'd be oh, okay, like like whatever you ask me to do, whatever you want me to do, I will absolutely do it because I know what was wrong with me and I know that I have been fixed in you. That's what it's meant to be for us who have been saved spiritually. That will go anything you ask, we will do. I had one uh, this Friday night. This really changes how we have compassion for others if we understand this. I had one Friday night. I went. My wife and kids are out of town. I went to the Rockies game. Don't judge me. I went by myself to the Rockies game. I'm gonna be that old man that's gonna be like 81 games keeping score at the Rockies game. That's gonna be me. I was there by myself, or 30,000 other people were there. My wife and kids weren't there. They were out of town. And I walked into the game, and I was going to my seat, and uh, as I'm, as I'm kind of walking down to get to my seat, I'm, I'm scoping out, like, who's on either side of me? Am I going to get the armrest or not kind of thing? And uh, I'm walking by, and there was a gentleman sitting next to me, and it was him, his wife, and a little girl. And uh, as I walked by, they, the adults both were double-masking. They had two masks on at the game. And I was about to be sitting by him, and I did not have my mask. I had checked, and they said, you don't have to. And I'd even asked the lady when I scanned my parking, I said, do I need to bring my mask? She said, you don't need your mask. And, um, and so I said, okay. So I didn't have it with me, and I started walking down the thing. The little girl had a mask kind of down here, and she was drinking something. I'm walking past him, and, um, and he kind of puts his hand out like this. I was walking this way to get past him to sit next to him, and he kind of puts his hand out, and he says, where's your mask? And I said, I in my car, you know. And then I was I was pretty just kind of dumbfounded with the rest of the conversation. I won't go into all of it, but he basically he said, whoever's sitting by me is gonna have a mask on, that's for sure. And he has two masks on. So the only way he can talk to me is he has to kind of yell and kind of be loud. And so it looks like he, I mean, he was upset, but he's like firm and he's and he's like yelling at me basically. And I'm standing, I'm kind of standing facing this way and the crowd's back here. And I thought, oh my gosh, did I miss the memo that I'm supposed to do this? And I look up, nobody else in the section has a mask on. and um, And so I really don't know what to do. And he's basically just imposing some law and said, if you're going to sit here, you are going to get a mask and you're going to put it on, or you got to sit somewhere else. My flesh started crawling a little bit, and I was ready to... I wasn't going to fight the guy, but verbally I was about to just go off. I was, I was pretty mad. And I didn't know what to do. And then something happened that I looked up before I spoke to look up to see if there was anybody from Rockland sitting in section 204 that night. (laughs) And as a general rule of thumb, if you're about to do something and then you go, I hope no one's here that's going to call me a hypocrite. Oh, good. No one is. You probably shouldn't do whatever it is you're about to do. And so I didn't know what to do. If I told you the story, you would be going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he did that. This poor man with his daughter, like, sitting behind them was kind of, like, holding her, like, you know, be okay, you know. Um, and the usher wasn't there to hear. And so I just, I just said, you know, excuse me, just a minute. And I just slipped back out and I just, I'm gonna go walk the concourse. And so I do that. I just walk the concourse. I walked it once. And the first time I walked, all I could think about is how wrong this guy's request was. Come on, I mean the Rockies say you don't have to. The health department that everybody says no, but you're imposing a rule on man. It's just one of my big pet peeves and I'm just and you're so what example for your daughter and what are you, you know? And I just everything. And I did a whole lap just mad just mad at what this guy had just said and I'm glad I was by myself I was glad my family wasn't there that would have been tougher and I was just mad and I was just walking and thinking and um, and I finally my best my best plan was I was going to go find an usher and just go hey here's the situation can I just sit somewhere else I'll sit in a worse seat I don't care I just want to enjoy the game that that was my that was my plan so I walked back to where to where I was sitting and I was going to head back up and then I thought about this text And I thought, oh, dang it, I'm going to tell people that they need to apply this. Maybe I should as well. And so before I did that, I took another lap. And I thought, I thought, what if this, the whole last time, all I did was think about how wrong he was? What if I take another lap and all I do the whole time is think about how forgiven I am in Christ? And so I did took a lap. I just started thinking of my sin, my propensity to sin, my flesh, how it reared up. And I was about to just lay into this guy in front of all those people and probably do no good. And I just started walking. I just started realizing like the sin in my life and how desperately I needed forgiveness and the greatness of the grace that God has poured out on me. Now, think about it. It doesn't feel like it's tied to that incident, but the first lap, I just walked around thinking how bad he was. The second one, I walked around thinking how bad I was. And I just thought about the forgiveness that I had in Christ. Oh, my flesh was going. It took a while for God to knock me on the head to calm me down a little bit. But that, of just, that process of just walking and thinking about the forgiveness that I've received changed me. And here's what happened. On my way back up to the seats, I popped into the store real quick, and when I got back up to the seats, I'd bought bottled waters for the family, the three of them. I bought a little stuffed unicorn with a Rockies logo on it, and I gave it to the little girl, and I'd bought a mask for myself. And I sat down next to him. And I said, uh, about the end of the first inning or so, I said, hey, we're on different pages with all this, but I just want everybody to have a good time tonight and he said thanks partway through the end of the first inning he just leaned over and said you just you can take your mask off <laughs> and i did <laughs> what changed when i start realizing this is what christ has done for me it changes Changes how firmly we stand for truth and the compassion that we would have for others. So today we need to remember as we take communion that Jesus didn't withhold his healing from a leper when he would have every reason to do so. But he didn't withhold his body and blood from you and me, spiritual lepers as well.